Today, You Talking You Too to Me is sponsored by our friends over at Bonobos. You can't spell Bonobos without Bono. That's right. Bonobos is a men's apparel brand that has everything from wash chinos, denim, sweaters, and casual shirts to suits, dress shirts, blazers. I promise your threads will fit you better and feel more comfortable than anything you have ever worn before. So go to Bonobos.com. That's B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com. On top of everything else, you get a special deal. Use the code EDGE to get a 20% off deal, along with that free shipping and the great customer service as always. So log on to B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com for better-fitting men's clothes. From boy to boots, getting this is you talking you two to me, the comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things you two. I am your co-host, Scott Ackerman, and sitting right in front of me at 12 o'clock to my six is the man from Parks. He's from Recreation. That's right. He plays... Ben Stein. Who do, who do you play on Ben Stein? Ben Stein on Win Ben Stein's Money. Yep. Please welcome Adam Scott. Hey, everybody. I'm at 12 o'clock. He's at 6. My name is Adam. This is Shits. <laughs> shits? Sorry. <laughs> oh, really? Already? Shits? That is as good as it gets <laughs> right now for me. This is good rock and roll uh, music, and uh, welcome to episode six. And boy, we really ended last time on a cliffhanger, did we not? We did. A cliffhanger that we weren't even aware was going to exist <laughs> until it existed. Let's set the scene. We we You call me up uh, this afternoon, and uh, you didn't even call. You, you, you dialed in one of those emails. Yeah. On my, I did it uh, on your telephone, right? No, I can't remember. If it was my phone, my iPad. I have so many of these devices floating <laughs> around. But uh, regardless, you connected to the web. You jacked sure. in, jacked in, uh, Johnny Mnemonic style. Johnny Mnemonic style. Put it, jacked it right in the back of my, the base of my spine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like that when I surf the web, whatever you want to call it. I'm just like z- so zoned in mm-hmm. that I feel like. Time is time. Okay, time is a concept. Sure, yeah, it's just something someone invented. Sure, in order to help organize people. Yeah, to uh, attach some sort of uh, tangible meaning to this vast and kind they, of emptiness that we all live in. To be honest, they tried to base it on the patterns of the sun and when the sun rises, when the sun sets. But it's unpredictable. Sometimes, have you ever noticed like someone's sun? No, no, the S U N, the uh, the great that great big ball of fire up oh, there the in the soon. sky. The, the you say the soon, okay? The soon, okay. I'll say the soon from now on, just to make sure you're on board with what I'm saying. But uh, it's the soon is unpredictable sometimes, and they tried to How base soon? it on the patterns. <laughs> How soon is now? Yeah. Um, but sometimes the soon will just like rise at two a.m. and people will be like, "Well, we missed it today." Yeah. So what? Do you, so they had to create this thing called time. Mm-hmm. Just in case the the soon comes up at like three in the morning, and people Which, are like, "Well, gotta get up to work." Yeah, I just went to bed, but hey, the soon is up, right? Because the soon is so unpredictable. I mean, it's, if there's anything that everyone knows, you can't count on 
this soon and the patterns no. that it's going to uh, follow. Not at all. So they tried to invent time in order to help predict that, but it doesn't work all that well. Never. No. Never works. Why were we talking about time? I Oh, that's right. You jacked in. I jacked in and sent you an email. That's right. This afternoon, and um, I was in the middle. No, I had just finished recording one show of my own show. Oh, uh, Comedy Bang Bang? Comedy Bang Bang. By the way, the way you say it on episode, uh, I believe it's six or something of of season two. Oh, yeah. Comedy Bang Bang. bang. (laughs) It makes me laugh so hard. Who were the guests today? Today uh, was an episode that we recorded with Doug Benson and uh, Matt Besser and Paul Hornschmeyer, who does all the art for uh, on, on the walls. Of Sounds the, like a great episode. Hey, it was great, but I will get, I'll tell you a secret. I'm a little under the weather and losing my voice a sure bit. Thing. And then you, but you get a hold of me, and I I gotta tell you, you're you're uh, uh, hard to get a hold of sometimes. And so any email from you is like uh, manna from heaven. And well, you had emailed me yesterday, saying, yesterday, s- different podcast, saying, uh, saying, hey, I can do it Monday during the day. Yep, I can do it Tuesday night or Wednesday night. Yep. Today I was at work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. At, fine. At my job. All right. Fine. And it was about the middle of the day, and I thought to myself, oh shit, Scott emailed me yesterday on a Sunday. Not going to make a big deal about it, but he did email me on a Sunday. Wait, you think that's rude to email on a well, Sunday? Well, I mean, it'd be, if I called you on a Sunday, yeah, I can understand that. No one wants to pick up the phone on a Sunday. Some people use Sunday as a day of rest, a day of reconnecting with their family. I mean, you don't have to answer your emails. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I only do it once a day, and I never do it on Sundays. So. Okay. All I'm saying is today I was at work. And I realized, shit, I didn't answer Scott's email. Obviously, I'm at work, so I can't do it Monday during the day. Today's Monday. I'm at work. Sure. But I'm probably going to get off work around 6. I bet I could make it over there by 7 if he's up for it. You know what? We struck a deal right then and there. Right then and there. To meet that night tonight at 7. Meanwhile, I'm sort of losing my voice. We start up the podcast, which was the previous episode that you have- uh, Sure, now seven days old. Yeah, that you listened to last week, and we think we're going to talk about Octung Baby, which, by the way, you're listening to You Talking U2 to me, the comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things U2, and every episode is devoted to one of their classic albums. I think we're talking about Octung Baby. We get off on a tangent or two. We never get to the darn thing. Or four. <laughs> Adam, come on now. You're going to start on another tangent <laughs> Oh, here. my God. Just about numbers. Oh, my gosh. What comes after four is five. Oh I'll my tell you gush. that much. Oh, my gosh. Is that what you said? I did. <laughs> Ed Sullivan. Um, Gossipal. The great thing was it was four. I think it was four. I can check my email. I have it right here. But I yep. think it was around four o'clock that we settled on a time to meet up. Mm-hmm. And uh, 4.03 p.m. Seven is good. See you then. Three hours later, we're, we're, we're making podcast. That's how quick it happens, Putting folks. them together. That's how quickly it can happen for you when you're in show business. Adam Scott jacks in, dials up his internet, types out a few words. I don't know how many words you can type a minute, but I'm assuming that this email probably took you roughly one to two to three minutes to type. Yeah, something, something like that. Maybe even just 
less than a minute. Okay, sure. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? You know, it's hard to quantify at this point. I don't remember because I was doing like four different things. I know that they say email is instantaneously sent, but I would assume that there is some sort of lag time. Oh, oh there's got to be a lag time. Even if it's a fraction of a second, there's okay, got to be so a lag time. We're talking at this point between one to two to three minutes plus a little bit of lag time. I receive this email. I get back to him. I mean, we're talking, you know, the whole process probably takes about 15 minutes to a half hour. Yeah. I mean, once once I responded to your email from the previous day, once I responded to that, we were off and off to running. The races. I mean, we were just cooking. We're cooking with petrol at and this And I point. would say within 10 minutes, we had settled on a plan. Um, and we had decided, we already knew what the topic of the evening was going to be. So that wasn't even mentioned in the emails. We didn't as, even as far as I remember, it. we didn't even talk about it. We didn't even, uh, why bother talking about right. it? Right. We knew it was going to be, uh, AB. And I knew that you had watched, uh, From the Sky Down and Rattle and Hum. So I had already kind of had that locked and loaded. I wanted oh, yeah. to talk to you about that. And man, we, did we ever talk about those two things? Oh boy. But you know what we didn't talk about was AB. Yeah, the old AB. Didn't even get to it. Didn't even get to it. And so we had to end on a cliffhanger. But, you know, I'll tell you a little bit of a show business secret. Um, We just, right before we started this one, we just ended recording that previous one. Yeah. Same sitting. Same sitting. Instead of putting out a three-hour show about Actung Baby. Right. Who wants to listen to that? Break it up into a uh, two-perter. Although you did get up and go... uh shake a little dew off the daisy in between <laughs> i didn't i gotta tell you you had been in there previous uh yeah. to me and uh the stench of urine in that bathroom was uh pretty pretty overpowering and i think you may have let it mellow i think um i think <laughs> no i always flush you, i'm an always as john Schrader well. would say just flush the toilet you fucking hippie <laughs> <laughs> I'm an always flush guy too. Yeah, I never I, let it mellow. I ever. hate it. Oh, it's gross. I who who likes walking in and getting that nah, surprise? It's the worst. I don't care. Just flush it down. Unless it's the middle of the night, and I don't want to wake up my the people in my house that are sleeping. Uh huh. In which case, you got to close the lid. You have to close it's the lid. Disgusting. And you have to wake up before them and flush it. Yeah. Which then wakes them up, but at the time that they're supposed to wake Never up. Never let it mellow. Never. It's disgusting. Stop letting it mellow. And the because people- Because it's not like urine doesn't smell terrible. Urine smells- it smells terrible. Awful. And both, by the way, both of the urinals in that restroom- had been mellowed and had. Oh, been I noticed mellowing. one of them. I I I uh, avoided it, that one. Oh, uh, it just uh, someone must have gone in there since you then, because two two urinals mellowing. It the stench was overpowering. Uh, I what I do is I like to uh, prevent those hippies actions, and I just go flush any toilet I see. Uh, that then has you got to wash your hands. I did wash my hand. Don't worry about. that. I wash my hands in the bathroom. I use a towel to open the door. It's mm-hmm. flu season. I come in here. Mm-hmm. First thing I do, I purell myself up. Yep. I don't want to lather get sick. it on. Just all over. Did you not get a flu shot this year? I didn't get a flu shot. Oh, that's why you're sick right now. Yeah. This is the only time I've been sick in probably at least 365 days. A year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a little bit uh, under the weather. and uh, but Well, I'm still... I appreciate you rallying and uh, making time for me and 
you know, one of the, the fans greatest of bands in the history of rock and roll. So let's catch you up a little bit if this is your first experience with you talking U2 to me. This is, of course, the comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things U2. What does that mean? We're going to talk about U2. We're going to talk about U2 exclusively. We're not going to talk about anything that is not U2. So you are going to hear facts. You're going to hear factoids. You're, uh, every once in a while, I'm going to interrupt Adam and say, Adam? I got a little factoid, and I'm just going to let it fly. And you are going to be not only entertained, but you are going to learn a little something in, about the topic of U2 and not about anything else. Yeah. So when we when we last left off, we were talking about Rattle and Hum, doing sort of a wrap-up to our two-hour and 15-minute <laughs> Rattle and Hum podcast. by With a 90-minute <laughs> post-wrap-up. <laughs> And uh, we we were just about ready to springboard into Octung Baby, and I said, you know what? Got to break it up. Got to gotta make this a two-parter. So we're going to talk about Octung Baby uh, pretty much exclusively on this show today. But before we start, <laughs> I, I do... to talk about something wildly different? <laughs> well, I do. We, we barely got into Harry Potter <laughs> last time. Yeah. What what do you think of like uh, the villains in Harry Potter? The uh, like um, like uh, Voldemort, he's chief amongst them, I would say. And the the kid at the school that's a villain. Yeah, the uh, what what's his name? I I don't know. Tom. Tom. Wait, Tom Riddle is one of them. Is that dude or just like like? Uh, oh, you mean uh, Dr- uh, Drago? Yes. Is that his name? Drago. I think so. Drag, which is... Drago. Uh, dra- it's like dragon, but without the N. Y- yeah. yeah. I don't know. You ever notice that in Harry Potter is like a lot of those names, like for the spells and stuff? Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, it's like bad Spanish in a way of like, you know, it's like uh, if someone's got to go quick, it's like, exuant quicko. Or, you know... You mean when they're doing spells and stuff? Yeah, yeah, when they're casting spells. The part, the parts that always get me, because I'm reading it out loud to my son, is the Quidditch ma- matches. Because they're written in such a way where you know you're, it's supposed to be very exciting, and so, mm-hmm. you, so you should be reading it fast. But you have a very you're... slow, dull voice. <laughs> That's true. But also, <laughs> you want to read it and make it exciting for the person listening, but... You're reading it for the first time yourself. You're trying to and process And some of these it words and the strategy of the game, I don't quite understand, so it's all kind of nonsense to me. But um, but he seems to enjoy himself. And he uh, does he ever say to you, Daddy, Daddy, your voice sounds exactly like Scott Ackerman's? Whenever, whenever <laughs> I do, this is a, a, a thing that my, my son, whenever I do make a... Um, Oh boy, a voice. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this is exactly like I'm your son. You're trying to read to me. Whenever I do a voice for a bad guy and I change my voice at all, uh, he hates it and he makes me re- do it all. Redo in, it in just my voice. I can't alter in my just voice. Just your at deadly all. dull. <laughs> yes, my Scott, Scott Ackerman voice. Monotone. He that is all he wants to hear. Why is that? Does he get scared? Yeah, or, maybe or? it scares him to hear me make a different... Even even if it's not a threatening thing, he just doesn't want to hear it. Could I hear maybe one of your villain voices? Sure. Um, this is, say, for Voldemort. This is uh-huh. the... This is, this or wait, is, what's the teacher, the Alan Rickman character? Oh, that would be um, Mr... 
Guy Fieri. Guy, <laughs> Mr. Guy Fieri. What's his name? He's the guy who comes in and he goes, Snape. Snape. Service, Servius Snape. Okay, so this is Snape's voice that I tried and tried my it out. son would yeah. not have it. Hello, Harry Potter. <laughs> really? That can I just say, Adam? Yeah. That sounds so much like your own voice. Really? But uh, okay, let me try again. Let me okay. let me see. What All right. Harry, what are you doing over there? <laughs> You're like putting a slightly evil tinge to your voice sure. in in much, but it's mainly intent. All right. Well, let's try a different character then. Okay. Uh, let's try, uh, uh, what, what about someone like, uh, someone who's even a good guy, like the, the big seven foot tall, what's that dude's name? The, oh, uh, Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah. He's no, that's not tall. Dumbledore. That's the teacher. <laughs> who am I thinking of? I'm thinking of the dude who like Fucking, is, is Harry's his... best friend. Yeah. The guy he, that lives at the school. Yeah. He takes an instant liking to him, even yeah. though like Harry is just a little kid. Why would an adult take any A big of... hairy adult. <laughs> what, who is this guy? Who, who's this guy? <laughs> who's this? Hey, who's this guy? Do you remember? Who are we talking about? The big dude in Harry, uh, Engineer Sam over here. The big dude in Harry Potter. He's big. He's the big dude. He's in Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. Is it Harry Potter? <laughs> no, no, no. He's the big dude. Sam, welcome to the conversation. <laughs> He's the big dude in Harry Potter. What's the name of the actor that plays the big guy? He's big himself. He's that big dude from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> just look up Sam. I just, I just, I just. Rubius? Rubius. Hagrid. Oh, Hagrid. 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 I just Googled big guy and I wrote H <laughs> and it filled in Harry Potter. What? Are you sure it didn't say big guy and Harry and you were just. <laughs> Mine turned up. Man too big for Harry Potter ride turned away. Oh, that's mm. an interesting story. Man too big for Harry Potter ride turned away. I wonder if it was Hagrid. <laughs> okay, so I did. I then Googled Big Guy Harry, and the first website, <laughs> the first YouTube video, it says, Big, beefy, beautiful bears, hot, hairy, masculine, manly, man, man, guy. <laughs> All right. You're listening to You Talking You Two to me. <laughs> Oh, by the way, we talked about this on the last episode, and I got I got to get to this. Um, I have a contract for you to sign. Wow. <laughs> oh, there he is, the man in question from the website. That is, he's a lot like Hagrid. Um, uh, you have a contract for me to I sign? Have a contract for oh, you wait, to do you want to hear the, ha- the Hagrid voice? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Harry, what are you doing with that magic wand? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't call that. I mean, I would give it more of a like, Harry, what are you doing with that magic wand? See, that just sounds like your regular voice Does to it me. Really? I'm terrible at voices. I don't do corrects. Not like you. Yeah, well. Okay, I have a contract for you to sign. Um, it's based on something that you promised in the last episode, and I want to get it binding right here on record. And okay. Engineer Sam, you're, you are a notary public. Yes, I was born that way. Okay, good. (laughs) That's convenient. Born a notary public? Yes, my mother was a notary public. Yeah, so it's it's in the genes. Designer genes. Through birth. Yeah. So let me read this to you. It's I, Adam Scott, do hereby promise 
to verbally state my intent to insert my Academy Award into my anus to the Academy Show crowd. That's a little weirdly worded, but hey. The Academy Show show crowd. crowd. Okay. Immediately upon arriving at the podium after the announcement of my win. I'll sign that because I feel like I could find a loophole in Academy (laughs) Show crowd. (laughs) Sign it up. We want to get a picture of this, Sam. There he is. Adam has put quill to paper. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. (laughs) Whoa, he's doing it. Wow. Do hereby promise to verbally state my intent to insert my Academy War into my anus to the Academy (laughs) Show crowd. Immediately upon arriving at the podium after the announcement of my win. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think you'll win for? Um... Hmm. Life is strange. You, something may come out of the blue. Look, you may get one of these emails we were talking about earlier uh, just as quick as I got this email from you today. It's true. That, that I've won an Academy Award? <laughs> yeah, you might have. Oh, my God. Well, let's just say that a year from now, all the awards buzz is happening for Hot Tub Time Machine 2. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I wish it would. I think that movies like that should be rewarded by the <laughs> Oh, Academy. me too. You know what I mean? And Otherwise, how are guys like you and me ever going to get them? So who knows? In a year, you and I could be having having a big laugh <laughs> about this little contract we just drew up here. You may be holding me to it. I will, too, by the way. You know, I know we're doing it kind of in fun, but... In I, jest. Yeah, but I have it right now, and you're the kind of guy who doesn't welch on those kind of I things. I never, ever welch on a deal. Okay. Or a contract. Very good, very good. All right, Adam, we have to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about Octoon Baby. I swear to God. All right, so we'll be right back with you talking you two to me. <laughs> Guys, you have to admit, Earwolf, the network we're on, they've got some great shows. Earwolf has opened its doors once again to one of my favorite shows, me personally, Scott Ackerman. Topics! That's right, Topics with longtime friends and creative comedic collaborators from the state, Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter. Yeah! This is a funny show. This is one of my favorite shows. They joined Earwolf on February 11th. Topics tackles some of mankind's most difficult questions. What is the nature of love? Is time travel possible or ethical? As if the promise of the kings of comedy, Michael Ian Black and Showalter wasn't enough, the show will also have original music by Dan Deacon. Dan Deacon? That's crazy. You're going to love this show. Topics is on Earwolf now. Find out more at earwolf.com slash topics. Welcome back. You talking you two to me. This is, of course, one of... The greatest U2 song, certainly on Actoon Baby, and some would say of their career. This is one. Is it getting better? Oh, is it Bono? Um, And here we are. This is Adam Scott and I, and we're finally at the moment that you have been waiting for for weeks and weeks and weeks. We're going to talk Actoon Baby, the album that some would say is U2's pinnacle achievement. Is that how people say that? Pinnacle achievement? hmm Okay. Yeah, some people would say this is their greatest album. Some people would. I mean, people have a lot of different opinions, and, you know, I mean, that's what makes this country one of the greatest in the world, in my opinion. Here's what I remember. Uh, Scotcha. Is it Scotcha? Scotcha Gotcha, yeah. Scotcha Gotcha. <laughs> uh-huh. 
I'm looking at it now. I didn't realize this album was 55 minutes. I didn't realize it was so long. I would say at that point it was their longest record. Do you disagree or do you? I agree? would imagine it still is. I don't think No Line on the Horizon. I think is Pop long. Pop might no be way. Pop is longer than that. Let's You're check right. It out. It's 60 minutes. Yeah, Pop had a lot of uh, boy oh boy of dance remixes. I I just re-listened to that. We'll talk. Hey, that's a few episodes away. I mean, we have so much more Harry Potter. I feel feel like you. I feel you. you, Okay, we'll talk. I have a lot of. We have a lot on pop. Okay, Octoon Baby. Here's what I remember. I remember, um, of course, eagerly awaiting this album. But the great, the awesome thing that they did with this album is, is that like all albums that come out, they did not send advance copies to the press. So there were no reviews. No one had heard this album. There were no leaks or anything like that Arcade Fire just did this with Reflector. They sent one copy to Rolling Stone because they just wanted one review. Uh-huh. And they... I don't. I can't recall if they sent it to someone that they knew would give them a good review or something. But the review was a rave. Mm-hmm. That's a. I think it's a great record. Yeah. Um. The review was a rave, and that's all anyone knew about it. So everyone. I remember reading them saying everyone kept saying I've read the reviews and they're all good, but everyone uh, had just read that one review. Well, this was a different strategy, and this strategy was they knew it was a new kind of daring sound. And they just wanted the fans to hear it first without any preconceptions. A lot like Beyonce or Radiohead. Right. Did they? So I remember The Fly came out and the video. That was before the record, right? Yeah, it was like two, it was like six weeks before Let's the record. Let's hear a little bit of The Fly. But I remember that coming out. You remember seeing this video for the first time no. and just being like, what the fuck? No, I'll tell you my story with it, but okay. no. I, I so I remember seeing this video on the old music television, MTV. Ha <laughs> ha. And record holding. Were you a tape. rocking the vote at this point? I was rocking the vote. I believe I was a vegetarian because Natalie Merchant said I should be. <laughs> um, How long did that last? Uh, probably like three or four months. Nice. Yeah, not you bad. Kept it going right? that long. Wow. Um, but I remember holding a tape recorder up to the TV to record this song, mm-hmm. so I could have a copy of it to to listen to in my car. Um, but. This song sounded so completely outlandish and alien. It certainly didn't sound like U2, but it also didn't sound like any other music that I had heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the album came out, and hearing these songs fresh and never even hearing what the songs are called or anything, or hearing any reviews or press about any of this music and getting to listen to it completely fresh, I thought was just such a great fun experience that's that i still haven't experienced again with anything nowadays there's no so one much information that. about everything yeah. before it comes out uh the, the beyonce record truly is one of the ones uh that that people uh have experienced in that same way since then um it just came out in the middle of the night and everyone the next day just kind of put it on said i have no idea what to think about this no one has told me what to think about this yeah it's great and i will say and this is the um, it, it, what was I gonna say? Sorry. Well, if if someone had if you'd read a million articles saying you two talks about their fresh new direction, right? Exactly. There was none of that. There was mm-hmm. they, they did all they had was this weird video, this weird song, 
And that was it. We had no information. So you pop on Zoo Station, which is the first yes. track on side one. Let's listen to a little and bit of the, Zoo It Station. sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before. I mean, that sounds like a guy strumming the neck of the guitar, but so I'd heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like a little sound effect, so. Oh, that's a distorted drum. Oh, so we're, I, I'd heard we're one only of those hearing before. half of this right now, right? No, we, uh, yeah, I mean, it's. We're in, not hearing the. It's all. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it's all in one ear for us. Yeah. Oh, but it's playing for. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, of course, is very industrial and all that. But and I know a lot of people probably had been listening to some of this kind of music, but I hadn't. I hadn't heard it. it all the stuff that's influencing them at this time, I mm-hmm. hadn't been exposed to. So this was right. all complete. And let's talk about those influences because they talk about them in uh, From the Sky Down, which yeah. which is a movie that uh, I don't need to go into. It. Listen to our previous episode. We're not going to waste any more time on Absolutely From the Sky not. Down. But um, they talk about their influences. And th- this was the music that I was listening to. I'd given up on U2. Yep. Um, and the music that was popular at the time was Happy Mondays. Yeah. Stone Roses. Yep. Uh Jesus Jones, yep. I would say. EMF. Yep. Your All unbelievable. That All that man that Manchester sound. The Madchester sound. Oh, Madchester. I That's like that. Right. Um, uh, the Stone Roses first record is totally great. Yes, the Stone Roses actually and what's interesting is their their first record is a rock record. Yeah. And then um they put out a single called uh, Fool's Gold. Which has kind of this uh, conga rhythm. And that was unlike what the Stone Roses had done on their first record. It got attached to the first record in the States. So mm-hmm. it was the, the final track on the CD over here. Uh-huh. But for <laughs> most people listening to the Stone Roses, that song was a total different type of sound. And it kind of revolutionized alternative music at that mm-hmm. time where everything you heard kind of was that – uh, danceable conga sound. And so the Manchester scene with Happy Mondays and, and bands of that ilk, they were really into being played at loud clubs. Yeah. And people would dance and they would take a lot of drugs and they would they would dance around. And you too, meanwhile, they're trying to figure out what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? We've right. done Americana. We've done Rattle and Hum. And what do we, we do next? we almost destroyed ourselves. So what do we do? And all of a sudden, the Manchester scene kind of um, springs up, and they go, can we do that? Are yeah. we danceable? Yeah. We're you too. Who has ever danced to us? Right. No one. Zero people. Zero percent of the people. 0.0.0 percent of the people have yeah. ever danced to a U2 song, other than maybe slow danced at weddings. I mean, they took that into account a sure. little bit. But... Uh, so what do they do? They they don't know. They don't know, Adam. They don't know what to do. No idea. So what do they do? They go to the place where good old Brian Eno, we've talked about him a lot, good old Sourpuss. Boilin. He, Brian Eno's like, hey, you know what? There's a little guy that I used to work with. Maybe you've heard of him. David Bowie. <laughs> I thought you were saying John Ross Bowie. <laughs> John Ross Bowie. Um <laughs> David and I, I'm sure he said, mm-hmm. um, called him by his first name, sort of big time. We like this place, Hansa. Hansa, Germany. It's right by the Wall of Berlin. Do we need to explain what the Wall of Berlin is or was? No. Okay. So it's right by the Wall of Berlin. 
I recorded the uh, Low Trilogy, the Berlin Trilogy mm-hmm. with David there. Um, why don't you go get out of here, go to Berlin, get a little... Uh, R&R. R&R, rest and relaxation. In Berlin. <laughs> when the wall of Berlin is coming down. The most stressful time in the history of Eastern <laughs> Europe. Uh, go go record there for a while. And right. you know what? To their credit, the guys in U2 go, Brian, that sounds like a great idea. Yep. That's exactly what they said. So they all go there. Oh, they went there all right. And they start working on songs while there's this sort of revolutionary moment happening. By the way, the fall of the Berlin Wall was not the most stressful moment in the history of Eastern Europe. <laughs> yeah, that actually was like... <laughs> uh, a, a good moment and Absol- a happy moment. Absolutely not accurate. Stressful for people who didn't want it to come down. Which was very few. Um, Although there is the story, I don't know if you know this one, about how uh, Bono, when the wall came down, oh, yeah. went out to celebrate. And he got into this big crowd of people and he thought he was in the middle of a celebration. And it turned out to be the lone dissenters yes. who were arguing against it. And he's like, what am I doing here? At the wrong party. Um, but no, they go to Ber- they go to Berlin hoping to get a little bit of that inspiration mm-hmm. that uh, David had talked so much about. But what they're forgetting is David; he's coked out of his mind doing the Berlin trilogy. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit about walking around depressing Berlin. He's just he's just sitting there with his drugs the whole time. Right. They get to Berlin and they're like, "Hey, guess what? Berlin is bummer town." Right. They didn't like it, Adam. So wait. Oh, you, I'm, they, I'm waiting. I'm yeah, waiting. Yeah, they didn't like it. What? So you didn't see the fly video when it came out, or hear the song? No, I'll tell. I'll, I'll tell you. Do you want to hear my? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. I'm not a fan of you two. At the anymore. time, you had given up on them because of one album, R- Rattling Hot. Well, you know, I mean, look, yeah, I love the Unforgettable Fire. Joshua Tree's great, but you know what? That I just thought Rattle and Hum, that was what they were going to be. And I, you know what? Yeah. I got cooler shit to listen to. Because it did seem like it, it was baked in. Because Joshua Tree was one thing. This is the result of that. Oh, they're just going to be doing this over and over again. Yeah, it's just going to be this. And I don't need to hear him preaching all the time. And, right. And uh, I just give up. Now, I was in college. Um, and these three years of my life, um, I did not listen to a ton of music because I was in acting school, something you should look into. And uh, <laughs> I was uh, working on my craft for you know, 12, 14 hours a day. And I was serious about it, Adam. I wasn't some pretty boy who moved down to L.A. who was like, you know what? I'm going to kind of coast on my looks. And Wait, maybe one day, you, why are you looking at me while you're saying all of this? Am I looking at you? Uh, yeah. uh, I'm talking you too to you. I didn't realize I was looking at you. Well, uh, okay. Okay. Keep going. But um, I was working hard on it and um, I didn't have time to listen to a lot of music. Okay. Yeah. So stuff kind of passed me by. I was still trying to keep up with it and I actually was in a band. And I, like I said, I was listening to stuff like Stone Roses. Um, uh, when I was in college, that was a big moment putting on that Fool's Gold record and us kind of like having our minds blown. Yeah. Um, Jane's Addiction, that was something that I got into um, in 1991. And um, so I was into a lot of kind of newer music at the time. And U2 just kind of was this old stodgy thing that was part of my past. Yeah. So The Fly came out 
and I think Octoon Baby itself came out, and I paid it no mind. Right. You were I, like, you two, fuck them, who cares? I didn't. It didn't even register with me that it was something that I should go do right. or you try were to so, seek And out. it's only been three years since. But three years is a long time in the life of a young lad. Yeah. And back then, people put out an album a year. So three years away from it's an the public eye yeah. is... And if you think about from the moment they said, okay, see you later, we're going to go off and dream it all up again, and no one knew if it meant they were breaking up or whatever, it was only a year and 10 months from when Octoon Baby came out. So they really, they went and reinvented themselves pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, yeah. But to, to, to me, I uh, had just gra- graduated high school when uh, Rattle and Hum came out, yeah. and I'm in the middle of my final year of college when Octoon Baby yeah. comes out, okay? Um, this, uh, girl in my class, Sarah, um, who would give me rides occasionally. And I believe she had a, I think she had a, no, she, maybe I'm mixing it up. I I talked about the person that we, we went to see Rattle and Hum with had a yellow Volkswagen bug. For some reason, I'm thinking she had one. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. Yeah. Who cares? Well, you know, I mean, it's important. (laughs) (laughs) So she gave me a ride one day home from school and she had the fly single. Oh. And she said, hey, so what do you think of the new U2? She knows I'm into music. Yeah. She has the fly single, and I go, oh, I don't like U2. I don't yeah. care. And she goes. Feeling betrayed. Little betrayed. does she know, you were an enormous U2 fan at one point. Oh, sure. And Favorite so band. She's assuming that I, you know, as a music fan and someone who knows so much about music at the time and alternative music, uh, yeah. to be specific, she's assuming, well, I have an opinion on the new U2 the new song. U2. I go, oh, I don't care. I don't care to listen to it. She goes, are you sure you don't want to listen to it? Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to like it. I guess if you play it, yeah, I will listen to it. Um, I was a nice guy. and Sound uh, really nice. <laughs> so she puts in the fly. Let's hear it again. And this is what I hear. Okay, this is the fly. Now, in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds. Doesn't sound like you too. Doesn't sound like you too, so that's, I guess, encouraging. When I re listen to the fly, I share the same opinion that I had when I listened to it back then, which is I think it sounds like a great demonstration tape of all the new studio techniques U2 is going to use on this record. Yes. It is not a song. It is a song. It's not a great... It is. It, structurally, it is a song. If you were to ask me to sing it right now, I would not be able... I don't know how the melody goes. I don't... Wh- well, there it? there is a melody in the chorus. There's a chorus. Is it the one where he's like sings in falsetto and is like... Yes. I maybe only know that because we just started playing the beginning of it. But it is a perfect teaser single for the album in that... It's not like they were thinking it was going to chart really high. They're just like, let's let's clear the slate. Yes, let's let everyone know that something Sorbet. different is happening here. Yeah, we've talked about amuse bouches on our previous uh, episode. This is like a sorbet. This is the, maybe the one time that U2 has put out a sorbet as the first single. Like putting out one as the first single would have been a mistake because everyone it's was not saying different same enough. Old, yeah. Same old U2. Yeah. Um, so when I heard it, I, I shrugged. And said, well, that's interesting, I guess, but I still don't care. Yeah. So it did not have the effect on me of, oh, wow, all of a sudden I'm a big U2 fan again yeah. because it's such a great single. I would say it is the most 
atypical single they have ever ever put out yeah. of any record. Yeah. Where it really was, it's like a PR campaign in a song, yes. isn't it? To yes. say, we're not like you two anymore. Yes. The video, even more so. Mm-hmm. And more shocking, as a U2 fan, to see this and you're just like, they don't even look like the same guys. What's he doing in the video? Does he, is he it's, wearing the fly sunglasses? Yeah, it's and... the first time you see all that stuff and they have all the TV screens. Like, it's all like... They all planned out like this is our our new thing. Except everything we're doing, you got yeah. the sunglasses, you got the TV screens, you got the little. I, I remember reading Bono was talking about how he was really getting into these one line aphorisms at the yes. time of like uh, a friend is the person who will ultimately betray you. Yeah, all these like little. And, and flashing them on the screen, like because like mm-hmm. remember subliminal was a big kind of catch word back then mm-hmm. about like no one talks about it now no um because kevin nealon was just kind of mm-hmm. introducing mr. The, S- mr a lot Sublime. of people don't know that u2's acting baby is based on kevin nealon's mr subliminal character kevin nealon subliminally got them to make that album <laughs> um so i i have at this point when the fly is released, still I don't, don't care. give a shit. I don't give a shit. I listened to it that one time in her. Young Scott Ackerman is hard to to impress, hard to please. Well, I'm sorry, but that's how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. Now we are going to hear how I either changed my opinion or kept my opinion coming up after this break. Wow, what do you think of that, Adam? I think that people are going to wet their pants <laughs> while they're waiting with cum. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Bono, please come on the show. We would love to have you on the show. We would love to have you. All right, let's come on back with more You Talking You Too to me after this. I don't think it's any secret when I tell you that we get a lot of people wanting to do shows here at Earwolf. We get a lot of what we call in the biz pilots sent to us. They're littering up the hallways, just the reel-to-reels, reels-to-reel, I don't know. But you know what? TV's own Andy Daly, who you know from my show, Comedy Bang Bang, will be sorting through them to discover promising new talent. Check out the Andy Daly podcast pilot project to see if he discovers Earwolf's next host. We are back. You talking you two to me, Adam Scott, Scott Ackerman, and we just started talking about uh, Actung Baby. And when we left off, uh, I don't give a shit. Adam, meanwhile, is he? It's like he's being spoon fed. I at that point, since I was into Rattle and Hum, and by this point, 1991, Rattle and Hum had been beaten into the ground. Um, into submission by you're critics still a, and fans. And you're so, still a fan. You wrote that letter to Rolling Stone about like, hey man, you, you're looking at this record wrong. Yes. So I, at this point, was like resigned to the fact that I was going to be alone in this. But then when I heard the album, I thought, this is new music. This is a new kind of music I hadn't heard before. This is extraordinary. But also thinking, maybe no one will notice Maybe it'll just be a, a flop. A, a flop. No one will no give a shit. For I don't know, but I think this is really special and interesting and weird. How did 
your friends react then to the fly because were they like me of like it's different but it's well because the fly is not on their best ofs or anything it's not like it's yeah. one of their greatest songs it was my first year at school so I hadn't really it was like November wait you were in kindergarten yeah it was my first year of kindergarten but it, I, I just moved to L.A. like a couple months before. So I didn't have like... Okay, I was working on my craft. You'd moved to L.A. I moved to L.A. to go to acting school, Scott. <laughs> and so I didn't really have friends to talk about you 2 with yet. I had friends I was talking about Shakespeare with because we were... Well, I was talking about Shakespeare with people, not you 2 I was working hard at my craft. My fingers, what every single one of them were ground down to a nub working on... Acting. What's your favorite Shakespeare line? Um, uh, uh, Thou doth protest too much. Oh, and what does that mean to you as an actor and as a human being? It means rattle and hum has a lot of virtues. <laughs> so you relate everything in Shakespeare to you too. Well, yeah, that's what all of Shakespeare's plays are about. Mm, interesting, interesting. So your 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 buddies. In acting school, whatever happened to them, by the way? Any of those, any, any of those guys ever become anything? Um, um, I mean, acting-wise, not really. <laughs> but, hey, they're still people, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're people and productive <laughs> members of society. <laughs> Great. Um, so, wait. You don't give a shit. You don't care about the fly. But when does the album start floating your boat? Okay, so... Let's take a look at this because the the record we have some, the data here comes out in November, right? The record comes out October of nine. No, wait, wait, wait. That's November. When it was I think that's when it was recorded. Sorry, November 18, ninety one. Okay, I had just started my final year of of college. All right. Now, <clears throat> when does the song "Mysterious Ways" their second single? come out. Looks like November 25, one week after that. It's very smart. Very smart. All of a sudden, something with a hook mm-hmm. comes out. Now, I had told you that I was very into Stone Roses. Um, I wasn't as into Happy Mondays. I got into them a little later, but I was into that kind of like, you yeah. know, danceable things with hip hop beats, but like right. uh, rock over hip hop beats. Right. I heard mysterious ways and i said oh well that's interesting you two is kind of doing a stone roses type of thing here well at least they're current now yeah uh at least they're kind of trying for something other than this like americana you know uh, uh, uh trying to sidle yeah. up next to bob did Dylan you feel they were John poaching Lennon. someone else's style or did you think they no. were doing something interesting with it? at the time i was like oh wow they're doing a stone roses thing that's cool because that's what i like to listen to yeah. wow and this song is actually very catchy yeah and i remember uh watching the video with him just kind of like moving around yeah. and uh uh anton how do you pronounce his name Cor- corbin Cor- yeah um all of a sudden, was I using, could be wrong. Yeah, I think Lance knows him personally yeah. from our pre, uh, two episodes prior. So he pronounced it in a way that I'd never heard before. I was like, oh, I wish I could remember that. Yeah. But he's working all of a sudden in color with the band and oversaturated color. Yeah. And it was different than Rattle and Hum, which yeah. was all stark black and white for the most part. I can't say all and for the most part, but I did. Um, and it was very intriguing. Yeah. And I remember watching at my friend's house and going, you know what? 
this is pretty good. Yeah. This is pretty good. I maybe uh, if the rest of this record is like this, I'll I'll check it out. Yeah. And so did you go buy it immediately? No, I probably got it used at a certain point during that year. Wow, like before the end of the year or like 92 when it was it, No, it would have been in probably culture. in 92 at some point. I yeah. I probably would have finally picked it up. It was definitely you one You were tough. It was one I to. sat on and I slept on for about a year. I think that when one came out, and by the way, in retrospect, one is probably the best song on the record, in my opinion. I think yeah. one is a classic it's song. It's an incredible song. But it's so U2-ish yeah. in a way of how just how <clears throat> kind of amazing and classical it yeah. is. It doesn't really have the chiming U2 sound to it, but it, it is a classic U2 song. Well- yeah, I mean, it has, structurally it is, but when you really listen to the production and stuff, at the time, they hadn't really done that yet. It was it was moody. Yes. It had a different had guitar sound. It had some little kind of interesting effects in it and stuff, but subtle and not, it's not like Zuropa or Pop where the effects are kind of at the forefront. It's mm-hmm. more kind of, it's all one thing. So by the time that came out, I think I was like ready for the sound and I was like, oh, you know what? Hey, this is a great song, and that's I think when it clicked for me, I was like, oh, "I'll go, I'll go pick it up." Sure, that's, because over the summer of '92, I believe one came out as a single, and it was a big hit. Let's check that out. I have that date right here, uh, March sixth, nineteen ninety-two. Oh, wow. But I think it was a slow burn in a way. Yeah. So, I, meanwhile, I'm graduating from college. I'm doing my finals. I'm uh, performing in Midsummer Night's Dream. As Lysander, one of the lovers. Wow. I, uh, okay. You love talking about your <laughs> how much how hard you studied at acting. I'm really focusing on it. I'm becoming the best actor that I can be. And so I still don't have a ton of time to devote to listening to this record. And I have other records that I like more. But it becomes one of these things that where I bought it used. I listened to it. I don't know that I listened to it all the way through even once. For years and years. Really? It's one that I do not know as well as any of their other records. Still? Still. Octoon Baby. I have listened to it several times for this show yeah. now, but um, I still find it hard to remember what some of the songs are, like Ultraviolet. Yeah. If, when it starts playing, I'll go, oh, I know this and I'll be able to sing right, along, right, but right. I can't think of how it goes. Right, right, right. Uh, Acrobat, another one. I can't quite th- remember See, how that See, I think Acrobat goes. might be the... I, I, it's a great song. Wait, do you want to? I'll yeah. play Acrobat if you want. Here we go. It's this a is, little sleeper on the album, as they would say. Acrobat by U2. Well, this feedback isn't doing anything for me. It takes a little while for this song to get going. You know what, bands? Start your songs. You know what I mean? When I press play, I want to hear the song. I don't want to hey, hear all this bullshit. They were in Hanzo Studios. Okay. Wow, Rolling Stone gave it four and a half stars. They were not willing to go to five. But they, you know what they gave five? All that you can't leave behind. Mm. Wow, Spin Magazine gave it a mixed review. That's hilarious. Wow. So they were still getting shit for Rattling Hum, probably. Probably, yeah. Where it's like, hey, you know what? We're not going to like you two yet. Yeah. But, but that's the thing is I would have given it a mixed review, too, if I had... If I had had to review it the day it came out or yeah. the week it came out, you know. So the chorus to Acrobat is pretty great. Have you heard the the Las Vegas version? 
Have you heard the cover record of this, by the way? No. Oh, you gotta get the cover record of this. Oh yes, yes, yes. The yes, Octoon I have that. Baby. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Jack White and right. all these people. Jack White does Love Is Blindness, right? Yeah, it's great. Pretty great. Oh, is this the one where it's like? Let me hear. Don't. Yeah. I don't think they ever played it live. I never saw them play it live. It's pretty good. It's great. I mean, this is like... Because it's still got some of the chiming guitar, but a lot of distortion as well. And it's a deep production. Like, it sounds like they... It's been... It's just layers and layers. That's what great. the trying to do. Yeah. Um... So it it still is one though that so you're still sort of discovering this album a little bit a little bit but I will say that the the hits on it I've heard a million times sure, at this point even course. better than the real thing one until the end of the world who's going to ride your wild horses mysterious ways those are songs I've yeah. heard over and over Classics. and over again because I would make little best of tapes because I wouldn't be able to have whole albums yeah. on tapes so I would make best of singles tapes for all my favorite bands and so I, this the the singles got onto these tapes but I I only recently have I really listened to Acrobat or Ultraviolet or even Love is Blindness um, So Cruel these are all songs that I'm still kind of discovering right now see I listened to <coughs> this ad nauseum back then um and I think this is one of those classic albums where, like like you mentioned, Until the End of the World, that was never even a single, but it's one of those classics when they play it live, everyone goes crazy. Right. It's just an album track. Um, so Cruel is such a great song. Um, I know they released a remix of Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses later um, as a single, and you can tell, because they always do that with songs they feel they didn't this quite get right. This is kind of the start of that, where they... They now are like – because uh, one thing that they talk about in these documentaries that we've been watching is they always take up into the last yeah. minute. So they're always turning in mixes at the last minute, yeah. and then it'll come out, and they'll be like, oh, man, I yeah. wish we had done – So I think that the version of Who's Going to Ride Your Wild Horses on the album is a little undercooked. Uh-huh. So you would replace it with the single version. I would, yeah. I think it's a lot better. Do you um, have a version of this in your iPod where it's like sequenced like, okay, these are the good remixes? You know, here's a here's a question. On the recent re-release, they have early versions of all these songs. Oh, yeah, they I call have them that. baby songs. Yeah. Do you prefer any of those versions? No, because they're they're interesting to listen to because they're really raw and, and stuff, mm-hmm. but I think the album is produced beautifully, but that version of "Who's Gonna Ride Your" the single version of "Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horse." I don't know if I even have. That I might anymore. have it. Let me let me take a look at it. I might have it. Um, but like trying to throw your arms around the world is great. The only one that I feel just is a little. Oh yeah, this is the Temple Bar remix. Yeah, I think this might be the one. I'm going to look up what version was released as the single. Here we go. The Temple Bar edit. Yeah, this is it. It's just a, a bit... A bit. It's a less raw and stuff, but... Mm-hmm. It's also, like, a little long on the album and stuff, but it's still, you know, it's good. Um, but, uh... Mysterious Ways to me feels kind of like of its time a little bit. This I'm going to tell you my, some may say shocking, oh. opinion of this record. Sure. I've listened to it several times recently. 
You know when Harris was in here in one of our early episodes yeah. and he said U2 just sounds like the 90s yeah. to him? I have to say that this record, I wish, as much as Mysterious Ways got me back into them and made yeah. me go, oh, wow, I like them yeah. again. It sounds like the 90s to me. Yeah. This record sounds, for the most part, like the 90s to me. And it is not really one of my favorites anymore. It's it's kind of like, you know what? I like the way those songs sounded then, but nowadays I prefer some of their other stuff uh, better. Well, I feel like it's, for the most part, it, the instrumentation on the album is all four guys playing instruments. It's not like mm-hmm. it's all drum machines and stuff. No, and it, uh, and I would even say, by the way, that I would prefer some of these songs if they were produced a little more like pop, like where they were more using, electronic. Yeah, more electronic. Really? Yeah, I don't uh, know why, me. but I think pop feels so like ninety seven. We'll talk about pop, but you know what? I I was I I went back and listened to those baby uh, yeah. versions. Yeah, kind of hoping because. I wish that I could hear these songs produced like classic U2. Right. I would love it if um, – because they, all, they they talk about Brian Eno, good old sourpuss over here. He hated anything that sounded like U2. Right. So he would be the guy who'd come in – and by the way, I'm reading about his – this is his style. And they talk about it on almost every song. He's the guy – he takes two weeks off. They work for two weeks. Right. He pops in for five minutes, and this is his process, he says, so he can come to it with fresh ears. No, Brian, you're taking two weeks off. You're taking a vacation in between every... And just tells everybody all the stuff he hates. Yeah, he comes in and he goes, you know what? Too many overdubs, or that sounds too much like you too. Right. Change it. So he hates... You know what song he hates the most? What? Out of all the stuff that they did? One. One. Yeah. He's like, that song's terrible. I hate that song. Yeah. And they and someone's got to go, Brian. You know what? You're being a little Brian Eno ish at this point. You're getting all Eno on us. <laughs> I kind of feel like I feel like <coughs> just like we were saying with Harris. I think that this album was so influential that it was ripped off so much, both in the music and just kind of the look of the album cover. Like I remember, Def Leppard and Bon Jovi both got hired Anton Corbin or whatever to do their album covers and they put kind of like a hip hop-ish beat in with their music and well, it's so iconic. To... Look at look at my phone case. Everyone asks if this is an Actung Baby phone case when they see it from far away. It does look like an Actung Baby. It does baby. because what is it? It's a bunch of different uh, Is it photos of you and Kulop? It's yeah, it's photos of me and Kulop and our dog, but because some are in black and white, some are this oversaturated color and it's kind of a collage Everyone looks at it and goes, "Oh, is that Octung Baby?" That's it's funny. it's become this iconic. It's because of that red photo up in the upper yeah. left hand corner. See, uh, I feel like this is of its time. It was so influential, but I think that kind of like Sergeant Pepper's. Um, you mean the Lonely Hearts Club Band? Yeah, the Beatles album, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that album? Well, I I will say that the lads from Liverpool, yeah. they touched down upon our shores back in the '60s, and they changed television. First time, Ed Sullivan show. Ed Sullivan, yes. By the way, did you watch the Grammys last night? <laughs> By the way, we we're taping this right after the Grammys. <laughs> I'm I've talked about this on my show. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the goddamn lads from Liverpool, how they change television, okay? It's so many times. Hey, we've heard about it on the Emmys, ridiculously enough. I know. And, and now, then last night, they, the Julia Roberts comes out and hypes up 
the a two hour special that's going to be on just two hours about the night the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, and they're they're all excited about it. it's fifty years to the day. Yeah. Well, what the fuck else are you doing, CBS? Like, how hard is that to get it to the day? I all know. you have to do is not forget when it was. I know. And you can put it on. <laughs> you can just put it in iCal, and you'll yeah. get an alert. <laughs> So I and I and I was saying this on my show. If you're going to do it 50 and you're going to do it 40 and you're going right. to do it 30 and 25, do it every year then. All right, right, do it 51, 52. Let's talk about these goddamn lads from Liverpool and how they change TV in America every year of our lives until and, we die. And and then there everyone's like, "Oh, they advertise they plug the Beatles special that's in I'm like the biggest such a fan of the Beatles, but enough." With the fucking Ed, I totally agree with you with the Ed Sullivan. Who thing. cares about what they did on Ed Sullivan? Yeah, people liked it. it it's people it's like a, Breaking it's Bad. It's actually incredibly interesting, and it's a huge cultural moment. But we fucking heard about it so yeah. much, For and I'm like fifty years. I'm sure no one's more sick of it than the surviving Beatles. But anyway, then they throw to you, you. Really think the surviving Beatles are sick of it? Look of hearing about them on Ed Sullivan when they were teenagers. You think I'm they're sure. sick of hearing? I don't know something about Paul McCartney when I look at him. Do you, you know that face that he makes anytime there's a camera pointed at him, where it's like, like that that like, oh, I'm surprised the camera's on. I I I think Paul McCartney is still great. Personally, I think he's great. I just saw him do a three-hour show at Bonnaroo, and I was in. Was it the amazing? Front row. It was amazing. Yeah, so great, right? But, but he's a weirdo, right? Yeah, <laughs> like he's that a Dana Carvey impression yeah. of him, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> where he's like always shooting right, finger right, guns right. at people. But this is how sick of it they are. Is there's the whole night is hyped about he and Ringo getting back together. Ugh. Then they throw to them getting back together, and they play. They don't even play a Beatles song. Did yeah. you watch? They played it in one of his new records. One of his yeah. songs from his new album. And Ringo's up there playing drums, and there's a second drummer playing in yeah. the dark, and they just have a light on Paul and Ringo. Yeah. Meanwhile, his old his whole band is kind of like, hey, remember us? We're the guys you've been playing with for years and years. Like, I felt bad for his drummer when I saw that. Like, oh, we're finally playing the Grammys, and Ringo's got to play? I mean... I I lo- I'm one of the people that loves Ringo as a drummer. When he was oh, he's an amazing he's fucking drummer. great. Jason Schwartzman and I talked about that on on my show. Like he, he Jason is a drummer and says he's one of the best. of Yeah, all time. he's Jason Schwartzman's favorite drummer. He yeah. says, and I, I I totally agree. But why not have him do all? The, why not just have Ringo be the drummer? Why do they have to have another drum? Just drummer? duet between the two of them. How awesome would no that have been without shit. like everyone else playing the typical Paul McCartney arrangement that we've heard so many times? And why not play maybe a, a Beatles song that we haven't heard a million? You know. Well, that was the other thing that I, I loved when. Uh, Paul McCartney and the surviving members of Nirvana were up there on the stage accepting their award for their song, which is not a good song, did, by the way. Did they get a Grammy <clears throat> last night for that song? Yeah, for that song they did like for Sound song. City. It's okay, but it's not like, oh my God, this is Beatleworth right. or Nirvana worth. Right, right, right. Worthy. Um, but when they were up there, uh, uh, Dave Grohl was very gracious about the award and thanked everyone. And then I, I loved how Paul McCartney got in there and slipped in and was like, oh yeah, Dave, he called me up. He said, Let's do Long Tall Sally. I said, I've been there, done that. Let's do something new. Like, he sold out Dave Grohl right there of like, oh, Dave Grohl had a shitty idea. <laughs> Meanwhile, I come in and I'm a genius. That's hilarious. I didn't see that. Yeah. But um, why are we talking about the Grammys I don't and those know. lovable – Oh, you're talking about S- Sgt. Pepper, which is one so, of the Beatles' records, we should say. Yes, but I feel like if you – 
take away all of the the, the record cover and you take away the time you it have came to out, in order to put the record on and you just listen to the music of Sgt. Pepper, there is something very timeless about it. And I think there's a lot about Octoon Baby that is timeless. That you know what I I love. I think Zoo Station sounds great. It still. sounds great when 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 the kind of murky electronics fade away and the song really kicks in and it takes like two minutes, mm-hmm. which is such a great opener for an album. It's such a great song. I think some of the songs sound dated. That one doesn't to me. I've, I've, I think even better than the real thing is a fucking great song. I I can't listen to it all. I, it's overplayed to me. Really? Yeah, it's a little over. Yeah, it has been overplayed, but it's but somehow one which is has been overplayed. Perhaps uh, I love that song. So yeah. I don't know. Do you like the Mary J. Blige version of One? Not really. I, th- I, I having seen it live first. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I but U two fans don't like it. I think U two is a tough band to cover. The Beatles are a tough band to cover too because their songs are deceptively simple. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Their songs are. I didn't. You don't have to thank me for nodding. Oh, deceptively you know, you just simple. Sh- showed me your penis. <laughs> Um, uh, their songs are deceptively simple. They're they're kind of when they're sung by other people. There's the kind of sort of the specialness is taken out of them. It's like why don't I just listen to you two sing this? Right. I don't know. I didn't think I didn't. I like it. I like it. she she goes wolf at the end of that. Mm-hmm. I think. Hey, let's talk about this because I thought this was really interesting. I was watching that from the sky down movie, and you two almost broke up that I gave you as a present. You two almost broke up. They talk about it. They yeah. go to Hansa Studios. Yeah. It's depressing. Yeah. It's bleak. Yeah. It's Germany. Yeah. They don't like it. Um, they're meanwhile, they almost break up because they can't come up with any songs. And here's what I started realizing. Um, their songwriting process, it seems like torture to me. Yeah. They basically sit there jamming. Yeah. Someone maybe has a drum beat or or Edge comes up with some some chords. Yeah. And then Bono like improvises over them. Yeah. And they have hours and hours and hours of these tapes of them doing this. No one ever comes in with a song like, hey, I wrote this. Right. Check this out. Let's record it. Boom. We're done in two hours. Right. They sit there with this process. For years. For years. I cannot imagine. Well, that's why like – for um, uh, how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Apparently, before that album, they had recorded an entire album with Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. scrapped it, went back to the drawing board, recorded the album with Steve Lillywhite. Same with um, No Line on the Horizon. Maybe they recorded. They started mm-hmm. recording with someone else. Scrapped. It. I think No Line was with Rick Rubin. Oh, is that actually? what it was? Yeah, okay, because he right. did. Rick Rubin, I believe, did Window in the Skies, right? Which I really like. Yeah, I really like that record. Yeah. But it's. Um, it's also you listen to that song a few times and you realize that the depth of it isn't what they kind of get with Lanwan, you know, right? Or Lily White, who uh, you know, he he he's the one who said, "Hey, yeah, you should use a different producer than me." It, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that you guys are getting big, you should find someone else. <laughs> so they did him a solid, which was nice, and they went back to him for how to dismantle and made a great album. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, yeah, I. Uh, I it it just they they show and they play the tapes of them coming up with one. Yeah. It's really interesting. The first time they play it, it's basically two different songs that the Edge has. Yeah. Two different chord progressions and uh Lanois says, "Hey, put them together." He starts playing it. Bono starts just wailing over it and improvising. It is 
pretty close to yeah. the finished product within 15 minutes. Yeah. That's how quickly it happens for them. Yeah. Yet, to get to that 15 minutes, they have to do a year yeah. of fucking around. And almost breaking up because The Edge and Bono wanted to go into this more kind of dancey electronic mm-hmm. uh, um um, direction and uh, Larry Mullen and Adam Clayton were like, "This is w- not us." I don't know what yeah. this is. So Larry like, Mullen, when he hears that, is like, "Drum machines? Guess who is a drum machine? Right, and has two thumbs. This guy, this guy right here. <laughs> and I need these thumbs to play these drums because so it's I'm not hard to hold them off. Sticks. <laughs> so it is interesting that, and now it's been five years since No Line on the Horizon came out. Like their album, it takes forever. It takes now. forever. What are they, you know, and when he comes in here, I want to ask Bono about that. Yeah. Um, like, what do you do for five years? Are you doing five years of just like fucking around like you did right. to come up with this record? Like, why doesn't one of them write one song and then they come in with it and go, oh, yeah, I like it. And then they just lay it down. That's why it would be a real bummer if this album comes out and it's not good. Yeah, well, uh, I hope it's good. Maybe it's out by the time this episode comes out. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's out by the time this e- we finish recording this episode. Um, let's try to kind of wrap up what we think about. Yeah. So, where Acting would you Bay? place this in the pantheon? In just in ju- just historically, or for me? For you. I was trying to think about that because I listened to it a couple of times recently uh, on headphones at the gym. Yeah, I work out. Um, I was going to ask. <laughs> you were just going to ask because you saw my no, body. No, when you and... said at the gym, I was going to say, oh. Um, I was trying to think what which records I like better. Okay, let me, let me look up their discography and I'll tell you. Uh, and I don't want to spoil – future episodes so i'm gonna say where it lands within the albums we've already talked about okay we have uh boy october war the unforgettable fire the joshua tree rattle and hum and actung baby okay obviously the unforgettable fire i've talked about is my favorite record by them so i do not like it better than the unforgettable fire i like it better than boy yeah I like it better than October. Yeah. I do not like it better than War. Wow. I do not like it better than The Joshua Tree. I know Rattle and Hum much better. Yeah. Um, so if I'm truly being honest, I've listened to Rattle and Hum way more in my life than Octung Baby. Wow, that's so surprising. Even though I didn't like it and it turned me off as a... As I still you gave re- it a try back then. I still return to Rattle and Hum, and I know it's yeah. part of it's just part of my life so much. Yeah. That I just would have to say I probably like Rattle and Hum better. I'm not sitting there going, "Oh, I want to slip on Octung Baby." Yeah, like it's I have interesting with because and Hum. you had such a such you were so hesitant with Octung Baby at the time, whereas I dove in and you dove in. You it, know way like, more about go, it. Bought fly glasses and wanted to. <laughs> Do you have pictures? <laughs> I don't think so. Do you still have the glasses? They weren't the actual the yeah. same thing, but they were like cool looking shades. Because he thought, was wearing them ironically. Yeah, but they looked of, cool. Oh, oh, and you don't think he was like? Actually, I look pretty. cool. Actually, I do look kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, we you know in our next episode we have to talk about uh, the zoo TV tour. We have to talk about yeah. irony. We have to talk about the glasses. We have to talk about all the personas. We have to talk about yes. 
Macfisto. Oh, Macfisto. <laughs> and uh, his opera voice and all that kind of stuff. Where do you place Aktung Baby in the Pantheon up to this? Uh, up to where we are. Up to where we are. Well, I think, like we were saying, War is consistently a great out. I mean, there isn't a weak song on there. It's kind of a, a energetic, crisp, perfect album. Mm-hmm. But I think a comparison with The Who is apt in that I think it's... There's nothing to complain about on it, but as far as depth and breadth, Mm -hmm. I think that it falls a little short when you compare it to Joshua Tree and Octung Baby, which are these sprawling, epic, um, deep masterpieces. So it's a little like listening to Anytime, Anywhere... Uh, yeah, it has all the energy and it sounds awesome, but you know what? I'd, I'd prefer to put on headphones and listen to Tommy and just, yes. you know, or, or, uh, what's the double record? Or am I going to put on headphones and listen to Rubber Soul or am I going to listen to the White Album that I feel like has a lot more kind of relaxed maturity and the songwriting is mm-hmm. maybe. Well, Rubber Soul maybe, maybe go earlier. Yeah, sure. Analogy, Help, you know. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. Or, or like, would I rather watch Ferris Bueller lip sync to "Twist and Shout"? Right. Or would I rather, you know, uh, watch the movie "Yellow Submarine"? Right. Or would I rather watch Sixteen Candles or relax with a cold beer and check out, a, you know, I, watch Dutch twice in a row? <laughs> It takes you that long to drink one beer? One beer, four hours. <laughs> um, so I would put it alongside the Joshua Tree as really these two kind of perfect records. Uh-huh. Um, it, and they're they're both a little shaggy and they're not perfect, but um, they're I think they're up there with some of the great albums of all time both of those albums okay and you and you're this is just for your own personal preference of my listening. own personal preference culturally i thought it was and is incredibly significant mm-hmm. incredibly influential but in terms of personal preference you think joshua tree and so far at this point joshua tree and actung baby those are the ones that you would slip on for pleasure more. Still do with Still both do. of those albums. Still do. Still do. And whereas the other ones, you're not reaching for them other than to like rediscover them. Yeah, like I don't, I don't put on uh, war. I don't reach for war, even though it's undeniable how mm. great it is. That's an, now I put on unforgettable fire every once in a while for yeah, that purpose. I never do that. Um, but I also think that unforgettable fire is something I discovered later. So it's not like. There's yeah. no signifier in my life for unfair. Meanwhile, I was kind of where you were with Octung Baby in that I picked it up pretty much right when it came out. I was hyped for it. And lost your mind. Lost my mind, and I listened to it over and over and over yeah. and over. Meanwhile, with Octung Baby and me, came to it a year late. Yeah. Never really listened to it all the way through. Yeah. and um, But I will say that uh, we talked about on a previous show, The Unforgettable Fire is uh, – I consider to have bought that right when it came out, even though I think I was a month late. Sure. Um, But as a 15-year-old, I got it when I got the money. Yeah. Um, Oh, I went the morning at 
that Octune Baby came out, uh-huh. I was at, outside of Sam Goody waiting for them to open. Well, so Goody got it, so there you go. Goody got it. Um, but but we, what I was going to say is, is that uh, The Unforgettable Fire, I got right when it came out. Joshua Tree, of course, day of. Uh, Rattle and Hum, I got it the day of and you know went to see it opening night. Yeah. Rattle, uh, uh, Actung Baby is the only U2 record since I started buying them with the Unforgettable Fire yeah. that I ever waited past opening day to so get. So even No Line on the Horizon? No Line on the Horizon got it. Uh, I think I maybe got the leak even before it came out. Yeah, so I think I, I did too. So Actung Baby is the only one out of their entire discography that I probably just don't know as well as the other ones. Interesting. Um, what about Zuropa? Were you fully on board the day that came out? Come to th- yeah, I think I was. Although I did, I did probably get it used, but I got it used like that week it came out or whatever with yeah. you know store copies. Cheapskate. That, well, I'm in college at the time. Look, let me tell you about college. At the time, I'm spending money on books about Shakespeare. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm spending money. And you know, no joke, CDs back then, $17.95. They were really expensive back fucking then. bullshit. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. Any other final thoughts on Octung Baby? I don't think so. I think this was a good comprehensive episode about the album Unlike Octung s- Baby. <laughs> Unlike some of our previous episodes, yeah. we talked about we actually U2 got on down this to one. biz on this one. We actually did talk about you 2 um, next episode, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm, I will have finally watched the Zoo TV DVD that I'm hoping comes in the oh, mail. Oh yeah, I have to watch point. that too. I have that at home. By the way, I think we're going to be taking, uh, not for you listeners, but for Adam and I, we're going to be taking a bit of a break, um, in between recording episodes oh, because yeah. I'm, I'm starting filming my show. Yeah. Um, and it's hard for me to come at night. Because I'm in every scene. Okay. Yeah, you're the host of the show. We get it. <laughs> um, so we we may have a lot to catch up on by the time that you hear the next episode. Because uh, by the time we record again, the album may be announced. Yeah. Invisible. Yeah. We'll have heard it, definitely. I, I assume that on Super Bowl Sunday, when that commercial airs, we will be... We'll be in contact. Yes. Okay, the last time I texted you, you did not get back to me at all. I did not know that that was your phone number. I didn't know you had an 818 number. Well, you know, I keep it real. (laughs) Wait, because I don't have it. I don't have your number. I'll send you another one. I'll send you another one. But you and I are going to be very excited, I believe. Yes. Come Sunday. And by the time you hear the next episode, when we talk about Zoo TV, Zoo Ropa, um, possibly Passengers. Um, Is this yours? Eight one eight four one five. Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, by the time you hear the next episode, a lot of stuff is gonna have gone down. They may have won their Oscar by the time we record next. We don't even know. So oh, we'll record before then. <laughs> okay, says the guy with more time than me. Um, okay, we'll work it out. But uh, the next one is gonna be a corker. All right. So what does that mean? Yeah, it's gonna be good. It's a gonna corker. Be a, it's gonna be a good episode. What's it? Can't I say something's gonna be a corker? All right. So uh, this is Scott Ackerman for me and Adam. Yes. 
See you next time. Oh, you know, next time we do an episode, we can put Invisible on and talk about what we think. Yeah, we can. That'll be fun for people. So um, this is Scott Ackerman for Adam Scott saying that we hope that you have found what you're looking for. This has been an Earwolf Media production. Executive producers Jeff Ulrich and Scott Ackerman. For more information, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolfradio.com The world's dead. Hey, Queeros, it's me, Cami Esposito, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Query. You can sit in on hour-long conversations between me, Cameron Esposito, and some of the brightest luminaries in the LGBTQ family. Query explores individual stories of identity, personality, and the shifting cultural matrix around gender, sexuality, and civil rights. Plus, it is fun. We have had some incredible guests. Uh, Emmy winner Lena Waithe? Yes, definitely. Congressman Mark Takano? You bet. L Word creator Eileen Shaken? Yes. President and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis? We definitely have. We've got celebs, people like Trixie Mattel, Evan Rachel Wood, Tegan and Sarah, the band, and the people separately on two different episodes. We also have activists and change makers in our community. I think it's a one of a kind show full of chats you have never heard before. It's identity, it's community, it's query. You can find query every Monday on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.